0: Good morning. What a great thing it is to praise God together. I love being part of a church that loves to praise God. We could just keep going. No, they're leaving. Okay. But we also get to look into the Word together, and that is a great joy, a great privilege. Um, Just before we do that, I just want to lift up for you um, one of the things we have starting this fall that I hope you will take a look at and consider how you can plug into it, and that is Scripture Academy. This is something new that we've created to help anybody no matter what level of familiarity you have with the Bible, to find a place to, uh, to plug in and to help the Bible come alive to you. Whether you're just learning to become familiar with Scripture or whether you're ready to dig in really, really deep, there's four levels. It's all explained in your bulletin. But I hope that you will really consider uh, maybe changing your schedule around or doing whatever it takes To get involved in Scripture Academy, it's really going to be life-changing and a great way to get to know God through his word even better. So let me recommend that to you. And now let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. Listen to God's word for us today. Luke 9:57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Let's thank God for his word today. Lord, thank you that you're always speaking to us and that you don't just leave it to us to figure this out, but your Holy Spirit is here to be our teacher. So speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen. If I asked you to name one famous opera singer, chances are you would name Pavarotti. He's the guy most of us know about, if we know about any opera singers. Um, He's a tenor who was probably the most famous um, tenor of our time. And he tells about when he was a young boy, his father, who was a baker, introduced him to the wonders of music. And there just so happened to be a man in his town, Modena, Italy, who was a professional tenor and who took him under his wing and taught him to sing. But Pavarotti thought he wasn't quite sure what uh, his future would hold, so he also, at the same time he was learning to sing, enrolled in a teacher's college. And he says, on graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? He says, My father replied, Luciano. Isn't that a fun name to say? Luciano. Luciano, he said, If you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. You must choose one chair. And he did. And he went on to become a great singer. Jesus is having conversations here in the Gospel of Luke with three different people who are trying to figure out where to sit, which chair to sit on, or how many chairs they can sit on, or how to make those decisions about life. Three potential followers come to Jesus in this little passage, and Jesus has a different answer for each of them, but they're not easy answers. The first guy comes to Jesus and says, I'll follow you. And and Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, meaning himself, has no place to lay his head. And then another conversation comes along. Jesus calls someone to follow him, and he says, yes, okay, Lord, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. And then a third one. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, I think Jesus must have missed that class in seminary that we took that, about recruiting volunteers, that, that if someone comes to you and acts a little bit interested, you give them an easy job first, right? You, you let them be an usher maybe or, 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 or something before you, you put them in charge of the junior high Sunday school boys or, you know, something hard. You've got to ease people into it, Jesus. He seems to have missed that. Where, where is the Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden down, and I will give you rest. We love that Jesus. Where, where, where did this Jesus come from, and how, how do we fit those two different approaches together? Why is Jesus sounding so over the top here? Who is this Jesus? As I was looking at uh, passages of scripture to preach on this summer and, and looking at all these different encounters that Jesus had with people, I came across this passage and I thought, you know, maybe this isn't the best one for a nice summer Sunday where everyone's just like, they're going to come to church and then go out on the lake and have a nice day and visit with me and then I'm going to give them this in the middle of that. Maybe we could do like a healing of a child or something nice. But I keep coming back to this passage. I can't forget this Jesus. And, and I keep saying, what do we make of him? How can we take this seriously and fit this Jesus in with the comforting welcoming Jesus. I mean, he seems kind of harsh here. So let's look at each one of these three conversations just a little bit more closely. It starts in verse 57. They're walking along a road. They're on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples. And this man, who seems like an optimist, comes up and says, I will follow you wherever you go. He's like all of us on January 1st. I can do it. I'm going to join the gym. I can do this. This is going to be my year to get in shape. He says to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. It kind of reminds me of Peter, the disciple, not too much after this. Has a similar conversation where he says, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. He's optimistic about his abilities. That kind of enthusiasm is good as long as it's not just a quick flame that burns out. Have you ever built a campfire with too much newspaper and not enough wood, and you light it, and it flames right up, and you're like, I am a good fire builder. Yeah. And then like two minutes later, it's nothing but embers. Jesus knows that our faith can be kind of like that as well. So he's helping this man dig deeper and giving him a reality check, he says, you want to follow me? Well, you need to know that foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He seems to be saying, you realize, don't you, if you follow me, you will have even less security than the wild animals. He wants him to really think about the conditions that he'll be following Jesus under. It's like another man that Jesus told a parable about. Jesus told this story. He says, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to. To finish, I, uh, I went on a hike up a mountain once with, with Pastor Bill, and I didn't really look at the, the map because he had the map, and I figured, well, he knew where we were going, and it was fine. I didn't know, need to know the details. And we hiked and, hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked. And just when I thought, I think I've just about reached the end of what I can do, we got to this beautiful lake at the top of a mountain. And I was like, this is amazing. There's a lake at the top of a mountain. What kind of mountain has a lake at the top? This is great. And I was saying to Bill, oh, what a perfect place to end our hike at this lake. And he looks at me and he goes, this is the halfway mark. (laughs) (laughs) I did not count the cost before I started that hike. And the second half was way, way harder. Jesus wants his followers to count the cost before following him. John Stott, writing about this, this uh, building the tower parable that Jesus told, he wrote this. The Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish, for thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called nominal Christianity. He goes on to say this, in countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves Listen to how he puts this, with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. Those are hard words. A decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their conveniences. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. There are a lot of us who try to sit on two chairs. You have to choose one chair, Jesus is saying. Following Jesus is not something we can do part-time or with part of our lives. It just doesn't work that way. So Jesus is giving this this man a reality check. And then another man comes along, and Jesus invites him, follow me, verse 59. And and the man, he, he replies, but he asks for some wiggle room. He says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. It seems like a reasonable request. I mean, honor your father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? But Jesus doesn't give him the wiggle room. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Wow. What kind of a person doesn't let someone go and take care of their own father's funeral arrangements? Reminds me of something Jesus says a few chapters later in verse chapter 14. He says, If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are challenging words. Will Willimon, who used to be um, dean of the chapel at Duke, University he's one of our Methodist bishops now he said that he used to receive complaints from parents fairly frequently but that most of those complaints boiled down to just one complaint he said his phone would ring and uh, there'd be a parent at the other end of the line who was saying something like this what do you all do over at Duke Our daughter went to school to become a research scientist, and now she says she's going to be a medical missionary to Haiti. You ruined her life. Why did you do that? Following Jesus can ruin your plans. Even if they're good plans, Jesus seems to be saying there is nothing that should be a higher priority in our lives than following him. Jesus and Peter have a conversation about this, the same struggle, the same issue. A little bit later in Luke 18, Peter says to Jesus, look, we, meaning the disciples, we have left everything we had to follow you. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, Peter, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times more at the proper time and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying following him is even more important than the things we hold the most precious the most dear, our family even. You must choose one chair. So then this third person comes along, and Jesus has a very similar conversation with him. He says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Another seems like very reasonable request, but Jesus says to him, uh, he says to him, Gosh, I totally lost my place. Okay, well, let me all get, get back to what Jesus says to him. <laughs> it seems like a reasonable request, right? But first, let me go back and, 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 and say goodbye to my family. I love that phrase, but first. How many times have I said that to God? Or you said that to God? I'll follow you, but first, but first. Just let me do these things for myself. But first, let me get a good job, and then I'll really follow you. First, let me get out of debt, and then I'll do what you're calling me to do. But first, let me obey, let me enjoy this relationship a little while, even though it might not be totally healthy, but I deserve some happiness, don't I, God? But first, let me do these things. Brian Staffordgen. Who writes about this passage says that often the greatest threat to the gospel is not the evil but the good it's we, when we recognize evil in our lives we usually want to get rid of it but when we become t- content with the good we may fail to follow Jesus into what is best and he will not be satisfied with anything less. Okay, here's his, here's his answer. Verse 62. No one who puts a hand at the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Fit for service in the kingdom of God. I don't know that much about plowing or sitting on a tractor and, and plowing rows. But I imagine if you're starting to plow a field and, and you're looking around, looking back and looking up, and you plow that first row crooked, All the rest of them are going to get more and more crooked and things will not go well. You just can't plow a field without looking ahead. It's like you can't hit a baseball if you don't keep your eye on the ball. Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Reminds me of Lot's wife in the Old Testament who looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Or Peter, who was walking on the water with Jesus, but then looked down at the wind and the waves and and started to sink. And listen to the contrast between those two and what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3.13. He says, This one thing I do, forgetting the things which lie behind, I press on toward the high call of Christ. So you want to follow me, Jesus is saying. You must choose one chair. There's no wiggle room. There's no negotiating. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. I've never met a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ who didn't have to die daily. This isn't just a decision we can make and then, oh, thank goodness that's done. It's a daily decision to choose Jesus and to choose what he's calling us. And dying daily often means dying to a whole host of things that would have a grip on us. Personal ambition, pleasures of this world, people's applause, greed, whatever it is. This culture tells us that we can have it all, and Jesus says, you can't, you can't sit on two chairs at once. You have to choose one chair. So many of us have spent so much of our lives trying to figure out how little we can give to God of our lives and still count ourselves as Christians We spend so much energy maneuvering our lives to figure out how we can keep the maximum amount while still giving Jesus just enough to keep him happy. And Jesus says, that's a futile, futile way to live. That it only works if we just give him everything. There's this pervasive idea in our society that if God is love, then that means God is nice. And if God is nice, then God would never ask us to do anything hard, painful, or uncomfortable. I don't think we can square that with the Jesus that we see here in the Gospel of Luke. If, if we listen to what Jesus says, he doesn't let us fool ourselves into thinking we can have it all. And if in the midst of our lives that sometimes means turning down a promotion or saying hard things to our children or denying our families the dream vacations taken by others or any other number of sacrifices great and small in service of the gospel we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. And friends, I want you to hear this. The kingdom of God is worth it. It's worth it all, anything we could give. The captain of a ship looked out on a dark night and saw lights way off in the distance. So he immediately told his signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, promptly a message came back that said, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was not pleased. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message, alter your course 10 degrees south. This is the captain. He got a message right back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman Third Class Jones. Well, immediately, the captain sent back a third message, knowing the fear that it would evoke, Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Immediately, he got a message back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Some things are non-negotiable, even if you're a battleship. And it doesn't do the battleship any favors for the lighthouse to try and negotiate Jesus doesn't want to lead us astray by saying there's wiggle room, that we can negotiate. You want to follow Jesus? There's no negotiating. You may be a battleship, but Jesus is the lighthouse. You know, it looks like the only way we will ever see this self-denial as a source of comfort is if we die and are raised again to new life. Jesus said, if we give up our lives, we'll lose them. No, if we try to save our lives, we'll lose them. But if we give up our lives for his sake, we'll find them. And then we will be wide open to his call. Follow me. So I want you to think today about where you're sitting these these pews we have they allow you to sit on two spots at once, don't they? You can sit right on the line and you won't fall through, but in life are you sitting on the line between two chairs? Are you squarely on Jesus' chair or squarely not? We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. And I hope that you will take the opportunity to do some business with the lord this morning to ask him to show you where you're sitting and if you need to move to let his spirit move you firmly onto his chair let's pray together god you have said that if we ask we'll receive that you love to give your spirit to those who ask and we need the wisdom of your spirit to discern how to follow you in these kind of situations that Jesus lifts up here. We have so many choices to make in our lives between so many good things. But God, we trust your spirit that if we say we are all in with you, you'll show us the way. You'll show us how to move, you'll show us where not to move. The important thing is, Lord, we want to be all in. We want to hold nothing back. As we sang just a few minutes ago, we want to be yours for all our lives. May it be so. Amen.